Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast. But before we start today, Jeff, what do we got to remind people about? Uh, make sure you guys have subscribed to the newsletter. It's called The Owner's Manual. It goes out every weekend and it's full of great actionable items to take into your dealership right away. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not even for dealerships, not necessarily for dealerships, it's for managing people and managing our businesses. Um, sometimes we get in a rut talking about dealership, dealership, but this is just another way to expand your horizon and get better at what we should be doing. That's working to own our business, right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all work on your business type stuff. That's kind of our focus, right? Like hiring, firing. We're going to get into you know marketing, and we're going to get into budgeting, and we're going to get into you know security, like all these things that we need to be working on our business. So we're going to give you guys a video by Luke that gives you kind of an education and then a, an actionable quote and like a task list for the week, things to get done. So make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter. You can join it through our website, theindependentdealer.com. And of course, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, uh, Facebook, share this with a dealer friend and all that good stuff. Yeah. And also, Jeff, one thing, one last question. We want to do a Ask Luke and Jeff section. And mm. we really think it'd be cool if people could video themselves asking us a question and then we'll put it out there. Something fun, something to get you on our YouTube, something to get you on our podcast. And Jeff, where could they send it to if they did that? That's a good darn question, Luke. I have no idea. Probably info at theindependentdealer.com. So down in the show notes is our email. Take a selfie video of you at your dealership asking any question you got email it over to us, and then we'll include you, your video, your question in an upcoming episode. It should be a lot of fun. Awesome, man. And if not, then we just make them up. It'll be like my kids asking questions around the house or <laughs> you know, Luke in a skirt and a wig. All right, let's get going with this. Here we go. You are listening to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. Hello, and welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. Luke, we have stepped up a notch uh, as uh -oh. far as our visual aesthetics go. So if you guys watch it on YouTube, <laughs> you're used to seeing our ugly mugs. So I'm just going to go ahead and hide my screen. I'm just going to let you and Lyman talk this whole time and maybe our YouTube views will go well, up. I mean, I, I know I'm pretty. Thanks for thanks for letting me know how pretty I am this week, Jeff. <laughs> no, I, th I think you're talking about Lyman here. Lyman is, is not only better to look at than Jeff, She's also an uh, internet marketing genius when it comes to fixing our websites and making them better, right, Jeff? Yeah, the founder and CEO of 321 Ignition. Lyman, thank you for joining us. This is a topic that is so important. Our websites, right? Yeah. Before we jump into that, though, introduce yourself to everyone. Tell us a little bit about you know, your company, how you founded it, and where you've got to where you are now. Yeah, so I started 321 Ignition three and a half years ago, um, approaching close to four years. And I came across this um, by pure accident. Um, so my background is I've been doing marketing for 19 years, almost 20 years now. And my specialty is customer acquisition. So you know how like in marketing, there's pre-sale, there's post-sale. My specialty is pre-sale. How do you get customers to actually buy from you instead of, you know, how do you get a customer to renew or to, you know, buy again, things like that. So uh, what I've done in the last uh, you know, 19 years, I've worked at Microsoft, Capital One, House Values, which got acquired by Zillow, Datasphere, which got acquired by Sinclair Broadcast. So all those companies would hire me. The reason they hire me is because they want to increase their sales. Mm -hmm. And increasing their sales, whether it's because uh, you know, generate a lead and pass to a salesperson to close, 
Or how do you get actually customer to buy directly online without even speaking to a salesperson? So, you know, the, what we call now digital retail. And so I've done everything from paid media, upper funnel, lower funnel, so like Google ads, Facebook ads, YouTube ads, TV ads, radio ads, billboard ads. I mean, you name it, I've done it, as long as it helps businesses to acquire customers. So my specialty is media analytics. Of course, you have to understand analytics really, really well, because yeah. if you don't measure, you can't improve. And so I'm a total nerd, basically. And so <laughs> I came across automotive by pure accident because I had a friend who worked at a car dealership, used car dealership. And then they're doing great. You know, pre-COVID, they were selling about, a, I think, close to 200 cars. I don't know how many cars they're selling now. And she would come to me for marketing advice, you know, just like, hey, Lyman, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And the more and more I kept helping her, the more I kept scratching my head and saying, like, why do you guys do this? And then I realized that in automotive, a lot of the vendors are actually pretty outdated. And so long story short, I decided to do this myself and build 321 Ignition. So well, now what's, working- what's, what's funny about that is I believe in the car business, we have been outdated when it comes to uh, to the whole nine yards. You know, dealers, uh, and I'm probably like the prime example, if we're not selling enough cars, we just throw more money at the problem, right? And we spend more money on advertising. And and we know that that's not, um, we don't know, but you know, and, and you probably told many of dealers, you probably don't need to spend more money, right, Lyman? Yeah, the problem is not that the, you know, well, number one question I always ask dealerships every time I talk to a new dealer, I always ask them, what do you think is going to help you increase your leads and sales? And number one response, like I remember vividly my first dealership that I spoke, spoke to was a Mercedes dealership. And I was actually buying a Mercedes from them. So I started talking to the GM and I'm like, hey, well, how are your sales doing? And he's like, oh, not so good. And I'm like, really, why do you think? And he's like, well, we just need to do more marketing. We're just not driving enough traffic to the website. And I, but when I look at the dealerships, Google Analytics, do, most dealerships generate actually plenty of visitors, at least 5,000 visitors, some like 10,000, you know, 30,000. If you think about it, how many consumers walk into your showroom every day versus how many people visit your website every day? So the perception is the dealerships think they just need to spend more money on marketing or they need to do more SEO or they need to do, you know, more Facebook ads. But what I'm seeing is that they're actually getting enough website visitors. However, they're not converting those visitors to leads. The majority of people just, you know, leave and bounce the site. And the reason why consumers are bouncing, is, which is, again, I looked at the Google Analytics and it showed the majority of consumers that visit dealership websites are doing it on their mobile device, like over mm-hmm. 80%. In some cases, actually over 90%. Like if it's a totally. buyer dealership, it's usually close to 90%. Especially like, let's say, for example, if you're doing Facebook advertising, again, Facebook is, you know, publicly traded company. It's public knowledge. Majority of their users are mobile. And so imagine if you're doing Facebook ads. People are seeing on their smartphones, they're clicking on your ad, going to your website, but the website is not designed for mobile. So what happens? They bounce. So you just wasted all of your paid media or cost per clicks that you just paid for. So the problem, you know, is um, conversion. <laughs> it's not the traffic, it's the conversion. Well, that's that's interesting because, he, again, I'm, I'm this old white dude. Um, mm-hmm. And if I want to look at something, I never use my phone, you know, so I always go to a desktop and and pull it up so I can actually look at the pictures better and know this, but I know that I'm a dinosaur and that's not how everybody's working. Uh, Look, you really actually, so if you go to Macy's website, you would go to Macy's website or Home Depot website on your desktop or on your phone. I I always desktop. Really? Uh, Yeah. Because I, Mm -hmm. I'm just a dinosaur Um, Mm -hmm. because 
I can't figure out how to work my phone all the time. But <laughs> you got those big fat digits. You can't really get them in those little teeny Lord. phones. Yeah. Mm. But I know that that my most of my customers probably don't even have desktop computers. Is that the case? It actually is. So more people own smartphones than they do their computers, especially if you go to more, you know, um, uh, not, uh, what's that phrase? Not a lower income housing areas. You know, they can't afford to have, you know, a laptop for a thousand dollars. Their phone is their only, you know, form of internet connection. So one hundred percent. So is there is there a difference between mobile, iPad, and desktop? Yes. Yeah, so what we're talking about is mobile responsive versus mobile first. Mobile first, what it really means is exactly as it sounds. It's when a u- user experience designer, UX UI designer. When we started actually designing car shopping experience, we started with the most difficult device, which is mobile. And the reason why it's difficult is because you have the most amount of limitations. You have a smaller screen size, usually slower internet connection, and most importantly, consumers trying to complete an action with one finger instead of on a keyboard with two hands and ten fingers. So when you're designing for a smart, a small screen, you're very conscious about it. It's not an afterthought. It's the first thought that you have. It's like, what's the experience mm-hmm. like a mobile? And once you've perfected the experience on mobile, then you go to desktop. So that's called mobile first. As a designer, literally started with mobile first. And mobile first doesn't mean you're missing features. You actually have the same amount of features and more because a lot of smartphones have you know, native features that improves our user experience. The opposite is mobile responsive, which is basically where you started designing a website for desktop, which has almost no limitations. And then you're trying to squeeze it down to a mobile screen, which as you could imagine is a disaster. It's like, imagine if you lived in a three bedroom house and you're moving into one bedroom apartment, will you be able to fit all of your furniture into one bedroom apartment? You might, but you're gonna have a couch on top of a table on top of a chandelier. Versus if you're trying to go from a studio apartment to a three-bedroom house, it's going to be a lot easier, right? So the same thing with the mobile-first websites versus mobile-responsive. And by the way, mobile-first is not a new concept. It's actually been around for over 15 years. Zillow, you know, publicly traded company, billions of revenue, they've been mobile-first from day one. Facebook, uh, I don't know if, I'm sure you guys have met Bob, um, the head of uh, Facebook Automotive Division. He actually said it himself too, that Facebook has been mobile first from day one and how old is Facebook? At least 15 years. So mobile first is not a new concept, but for some reason, it hasn't really picked up a lot of steam in automotive and we were the first ones to do it. Uh, Pastime GPS, uh, sponsor the podcast and they have a promo. So if you use the promo code uh, that's in the show notes here, on your first order, you get one free GPS when you order at least five. So new customers, one free GPS when you order five. Make sure you tell them the Independent Dealer Podcast sent you and that and, you know Luke. And we saved them a bunch of money by doing that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred and something dollars by doing it. Yeah, and then you can buy Luke a candy bar next time you see him at convention. But pastime is the way to go in GPS, whether you're buy here, pay here, or retail. It applies for both of you. You need to keep track of your stuff. You got to, and, and they're the best GPSs on the market, Jeff. Yep. Back to the episode. And that's the issue a lot of dealers have. When they go to check their website and see what's going on, they just naturally go to their desktop because they're at their dealership, right? Exactly. How many times are we actually going through our website on our phones and maybe even taking ourselves off of Wi-Fi? Go on cellular and snoop through your website and see how long it takes for pages to load and see where text box are crammed over top of other text boxes. You yeah. know, it's really kind of an eye-opening experience. 
Yeah, and not only that, uh, you know, what I've noticed is when I tell dealerships like, hey, did you know you have a mobile responsive website? They're like, what do you mean? I could see everything. Everything is fine. I'm like, did you compare it to Home Depot website? Did you compare it to Amazon? And when they start actually comparing, they're like, oh, now I see it. Because the perception is just because you could actually see the website in mobile, they think it is mobile website, but it's actually not because of the user experience design. So you really well, you, have to see it. You told us something before we started recording about how what Jeff Bezos did when he started Amazon. Can you just talk about that for a second? Because I think that's very interesting uh, to know. Yeah, so Jeff Bezos, it's actually a very famous quote that he invested 10, 10 times more in the user experience in the first four years of Amazon than he did in advertising. Because, I mean, if you think about it, Amazon started off selling books, the exact same books that Barnes and Nobles were selling. There was absolutely nothing unique about, you know, the selection or the quantity of those books except the user experience versus, you know, Barnes and Nobles was brick and mortars, you know, walk-in store, and they didn't have an online presence, but it wasn't as powerful. Versus, you know, Jeff Bezos, he really focused on the mobile or online user experience. And look where they are now. Is Barnes & Noble even around still? I think Amazon might have acquired them. There's one, there's one down the street. I think just one. Uh -huh. um, but what's what's funny about that is, I mean, what does, how does the user experience, Amazon, you can you can get on their their app right now and I can go and I can buy something. And, and the user experience for me is very simple, very easy, and I love it. How does that equate to the car business when you're talking about user experience and ease of purchase? I mean, it's exactly the same. User experience is everything. If I mean, if you you know, without even thinking about the car, but if you think about, so there's actually a very, very famous quote. Have you guys heard of a company called Forrester Market Research? It's number one, one of the largest, most powerful market research companies. And one of their analysts actually said, um, back in the days, you used to just compete across, you know, uh, with a business across the street, and you might be able to do things slightly, just a tiny bit better. Now you're competing against the, you know, technology companies. More and more companies are becoming technology companies. Like if you think about um, uh, Uber, Uber took a legacy industry, which is taxi cabs, and what did they do? They improved customer experience. So customer experience, and customer experience is not just when you're talking to a customer, but is what is their experience like at two o'clock in the morning when they're not speaking to you or when they're on, the, on your dealership website or when they're on a mobile device. And so the user experience, it's all about removing friction, eliminating friction. It's all about eliminating or reducing anxiety, especially, you know, when people are buying cars or especially used cars. They have anxiety about signing a five-year, you know, um, car loan, and what happens if the car breaks down the minute I drive off? So you have to think about what, it, um, you know, like when, if you're in sales, before you call a customer, you're anticipating what sales objections they're going to have, and you're ready to overcome those objections. Well, you have to do the same thing with the website. You have to anticipate what are the sales objections consumers are going to have when they're visiting your website and be able to overcome those objections by either giving them tools to do the research and validate their assumptions, or whether it's with value proposition copy, but most importantly, getting rid of friction. And friction mm. is, like, let's say, for example, if I'm doing credit apps, credit apps is probably the most qualified lead for a dealership, right? Because the person yeah. just, just gave you their social security number. So for example, our credit apps, we have a 72% completion rate. Well, how do we have 72% completion rate? A person is completing an action, completing a loan credit app with one finger, not on a keyboard with two hands and 10 fingers. So what do we do? For example, when a user is typing in an address, 
instead of forcing them with one finger to type city, street, zip code, we instead did a Google Maps API integration. So as consumers start tapping the address, it gives them little hints and it says, is this the address? Mm. And all the user has to do is click tap on it and it pre-populates all that information. Like so those. here you go. That's reducing friction. Or if you think about like if you're shopping on Macy's and if you have to put in your credit card versus doing Apple Pay, tap tap, you're more likely to check out, right? Same thing with car dealerships. So for example, our websites, we have this feature called reserve a car with down payment. So when a consumer starts reserving a car, uh, we get to the checkout part and it says, you know, $200 uh, deposit is required. Some dealerships do like a thousand dollar deposit, but you don't want a consumer to get up and go look for their wallet. So we have Apple Pay and Android Pay integration. So it's thinking about user experience, what uh, smartphone native features you could add to enhance the experience. Mm. What an interesting concept, Luke. Could you imagine if we had a reserve a car on a buy here, pay here, like my buy here, pay here lot, you could reserve the car for 500 bucks. So you don't got to so know anything about the financing. Funny. None it's of that's funny. in place yet. I just want people to actually reserve a car. So, so it's so funny in. you say that, Jeff, because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think actually after I saw your session in Myrtle Beach, Lyman, I said, Alexa, I think this is something we have to integrate. And it's mm. and, and the reason is, is because I believe and the reason I came to that conclusion and, and we talked about me buying a Tesla a while a couple weeks ago. And and you want to talk about user friendly. We've already discussed this, had a whole podcast about it. But the reason I did it so quickly, which I did on my my desktop because I, I'm a desktop guy, mm -hmm. but I was able to give them my money immediately. Yeah. And it, and so I had it locked in. When the emotions are high and your commitment levels there, it's there. they're taking that commitment 100%. and locking you in. So how much, and Lyman talked about how important it was for customers to fill out a credit app. We're good at getting credit apps. We can do that. But what if we just took it a step further mm. and we're able to get a down payment or get a, not a down payment, a refundable payment. Yeah. Immediately. Refundable deposit. That is I think that is something that I really want to implement in my website. And it sounds like Lyman, y'all have y'all have that integration and you've got you've got dealers doing that. Yeah, actually, it, it not only is it collecting a down payment, but it's also creating urgency. So one of my best practices is also is creating urgency. Salespeople hmm. are really, really good at that when they're talking to a consumer, right? But the website should do the exact same thing. So yes. as an example, if you go to Carvana. You'll notice that sometimes the cars will show purchase spending or a customer's about to check out. I forgot the verbiage they actually use. Our reserve a car with a down payment has the exact same features. So as an example, first consumer sees reserve this car for 24 hours to buy it in person. So consumer clicks on that button. Then it takes them to a step one and it says, um, reserve this car, fill out the information below, you know, due to global shortage of, you know, microchips, that there's a, you know, lack of inventory, blah, blah, blah. User fills that out, they click next. So now one, you as a dealer, you have their name, email, phone number. So now you can get a hold of them. In the meantime, because they submitted step one, on your website, other consumers will see, it will say the SCAR is um, purchase spending. So it's creating a of missing out. Other consumers, when they're on your website, they're seeing, oh my God, somebody's you know started you know purchasing the SCAR. But in the meantime, it also says, Sometimes consumers end up not buying a car. So click here to be notified if consumer doesn't actually buy the car. So now you're collecting a, a lead from the other person who's seeing somebody's about to buy a car. In the meantime, the original consumer 
And step two, they see, please put in a down payment and the down payment could be customized, whatever you want. Uh, and it could be refundable, non-refundable. It's up to a dealer what their policy is. And then, but in the meantime, it tells the consumer, you could either do Entropy or Apple Pay, or you could actually enter your credit card. So of course, majority people do Entropy or Apple Pay. And then if a consumer actually put in their credit card, then again, everybody else on your website would be notified that this car is purchased spending for 24 hours. And so, or how many hours you want. So yeah, the key with websites is one, reduce the friction. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, by doing like Apple Pay, doing Google Maps integration, doing, you know, all kinds of stuff, but two, creating urgency and creating fear of missing out, creating that FOMO effect. Mm -hmm. So that's the key with generating more leads. Yeah. So I, I like that. And you're going to give, you're going to share with us some more tips of things we're doing on our website that are wrong or we could do better. But first off, tell me, how do I know if my website is broken? How do I know if it's not good? to know what steps I need to take. You talked about bounce rate. W what is an allowable bounce rate for my website? Or what is a, what do you see as far as a conversion rate? Like how many people hit my website compared to how many land on my application or contact me page to compared to how many actually fill out an application? Yeah, great question, Jeff. And actually one of the issues that I see is dealerships are not doing a good job of tracking and um, analytics. They really don't understand analytics. Some dealerships don't even have CRMs which I don't know how you even run a business without a CRM. You know, data is like oil. It's, you know, every, the longer you've been in business, the more data you have, the more powerful you become because those are insights. Yeah. So having the right tracking in place is absolutely critical. So first thing that I see is um, whenever we work with dealerships, a lot of dealerships don't even have access to the Google Analytics and never log into the Google Analytics. And then we have some of them that do log in, the website providers didn't set up their tracking correctly. So as an example, in Google Analytics, there's this thing called goal conversion. Goal usually means, you know, actual leads or a sale. A lot of times I see website providers, instead of setting up goal conversion to track leads, and the only thing that I consider leads is lead form submission or click to call and click to drive. Anything else is not a lead. So what I see, or a text message, you could also do like, a, you know, send a text message. That's also a lead. Um, what I usually see other website providers do is they'll set up goal conversions to track page views or number of VDP views. That's not a lead. And by not setting up your tracking correctly, one, it actually hurts your marketing. So for example, if you do Google ads, I'm sure you guys have seen how in Google ads, there's this thing called the optimize, maximize conversions versus maximize clicks. To, in order for Google to be able to maximize conversions, you have to set up your tracking based on conversions. So if you're setting up your tracking based on page views, then you're optimizing on page views. So tracking is extremely, extremely important. But in addition to that, you know, in addition to Google Analytics, is being able to pass that information to your CRM. A lot of times I see dealership websites when they do generate leads, they don't actually pass what kind of lead it was. Like, was it a credit app? Was it a... Um, unlock manager special, was it a schedule at test drive? As a, I used to be in sales and, you know, if I was in sales, I don't even know how I would follow up with those leads if I don't know what they filled it out. So being able to pass to your CRM what kind of lead it was and where did the consumer come from, it gives more ammo to a salesperson to know how to talk to the, to the consumer. So, and then of course, most importantly, a dealership needs to be able to measure how many leads they generated, what was the cost, and what was the cost per lead? And then taking it a step further, what was the lead to sale conversion rate, and what was the cost per acquisition? 
because some sources, some tools may generate low cost per lead, but those leads are not converting to sales. So cost per sale ends up being, you know, really high. So ultimately, did you get more sales? Did you get more gross profit? And what was the cost and what was the ROI? So I'm actually going to be, um, I don't know if I'm going to get invited, but um, um, NIADA reached out to me and asked me to do training for tracking, which I'm extremely passionate about because you can't be good at generating leads and sales if you don't know how to track things. <laughs> hey, everybody, real quick. Uh, Buckeye Dealership Consulting, a great sponsor of the podcast and a friend of the industry. If you're talking about improving your leads, tracking, all these things, that's one thing that Buckeye does great is they give you a lot of good analytics on how your reinsurance company is doing, how your money is being earned out, not earned out, what you're keeping. So if you're a numbers freak and you love tracking stuff like we do, these guys keep you in the loop. They sure do. And I'll tell you what, it's getting close to that end of the year. You still have time to start setting up that reinsurance company. It's the only way to build wealth in this industry. And it's, it's the best way to make extra money um, while doing that. So Reach out to Buckeye, get that reinsurance company set up before the end of the year. What are the three things that you really want us to, to dial in on and, and measure? Yeah, ultimately, all that matters is total, how many leads you generated, how many sales, and what was the total gross profit? And then most importantly, what was the cost to actually do that? So then you take the cost divided by total leads or divided by total sales or divided by gross profit to really know what is your cost per lead, cost per sale, and ROI? And what are those, like, what should a dealership look at for cost per lead, you think? Cost Great question. Lead. So it varies because ultimately you have to optimize based on what are the goals of your dealership. So, for example, let's say if I'm a software company, early stage software company, for me, the most important thing would be growth. How fast am I growing, Right. So versus a mature company would be more about profitability. So if I'm an early stage company and I'm thinking about growth, then it doesn't matter what the gross profit was. It was more about how do I get the most amount of uh, leads at the lowest cost per lead, or maybe some leads might be higher cost per lead, but ultimately it's lower cost per sale. So ultimately it's all about what's the what, what channels and what tools can give you the most amount of sales at the lowest cost per sale and then ultimately gross profit. Because some channels, for example, when I was at Microsoft, I was in charge of a $35 million marketing budget for Office 365, which is Word, Excel, PowerPoint. And we, you know, it's hard to spend $35 million in advertising. It's a lot easier to spend $10 on advertising. And so we used to optimize our budgets like, okay, what, what are the channels that would give us the most scale and the lowest cost per acquisition? And maybe we've maxed out like 10 million of that. But to you know, to spend another 20 million, I might have to go to less efficient channel, but it's gonna give me more volume. So it depends on your budget. You first want to optimize what's gonna give you the most volume at the lowest cost, but then you might have to go to less and less efficient if you have if you need more growth and you have more budget to spend. Yeah, and but shouldn't there be a benchmark for car dealers? No, because let's say, for example, if one source is generating leads, let's say hypothetically at $50 cost per lead, but those leads have maybe, I don't know, 2% lead to sale conversion rate. So then your cost per sale will be, I can't do math in my head, versus another lead might be yeah. $100. Huh? And you got to also argue that, say you're a high-end luxury car brand, you can afford, you're getting, you're, you're maybe advertising way, way more and you're only selling a handful, but you've got very, very large gross profits. So maybe you're spending 
way more than I would be spending per lead, but it's okay because you don't need to sell as many cars, you know? So you could argue that that lead is a more valuable lead. Yeah. That's an example of, you know, um, the ROI when the ROI is actually. Do you track them across sources too? I imagine you'd be like, Oh yeah, this is how my Facebook's converting. This is how my Google search is converting. This is how my. Yep. And that's actually a perfect example because a lot of times I will see Facebook leads a lot cheaper than Google leads. But Facebook leads have a lower lead to sale conversion rate. So then ultimately, what was the cost to acquire a customer for Google versus Facebook? And, and it's because Facebook is uh, you're creating demand versus Google, you're fulfilling demand. You know, to create a demand, yes, you might get a lot of people interested, but they're not lower funnel people. They're not ready to buy. So your lead to sale is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. lower. So so tracking is one thing. What, what else are we doing wrong with our websites? Uh, well, branding. So okay. uh, trust is the most important thing with consumers. And especially with millennials and Gen Z, they don't even trust the doctor. They go look things up on WebMD, right? So how do you increase trust, especially as a used car dealership? Uh, let's face it, you know, how many people trust a used car salesperson? So th- th- there's certain things you could do to increase that trust. So as an example, number one mistake I see every website provider does is they use stock photos. Stock photos is the worst way to, you know, position yourself on a website. Unless you're Carvana or CarMax, you know, who has multi-million dollars to go do, you know, high-end marketing campaigns or shooting campaigns, you want to use real photos of your dealership, real photos of your customers and your employees. Uh, And it makes a huge difference when you do that, because now when a consumer comes to your website, and imagine they're seeing your real showroom, even if, even though it might not be glamorous, it doesn't have to be glamorous, but as long as they see your real dealership photo, then next time when they're driving by, they're like, oh yeah, I remember this dealership. I drive by it all the time. So it helps build credibility versus if you go to a website that has a bunch of stock photos, you're like, I don't even know if this is a legitimate business. Yeah. So increasing trust is so important. And with the trust also, by the way, is tools. So for example, I know a lot of times buy here, pay your dealership, they don't want to show monthly payment, right? But that's how consumers shop. And actually when I did a research, I noticed the uh, number one search, uh, high search volume keywords in automotive is payment calculator, car loan payment calculator. So mm-hmm. consumers are still going up and you know Googling payment calculators, but they're leaving your website to do it. You might as well have those tools on your website to let them you know, calculate a payment they know they have a bad credit right so it doesn't matter they have good credit or bad credit they know their reality but you want to give them tools to do their research on your website instead of hmm. on auto trade or a car voice that's interesting i never even thought about a payment calculator i always we we show prices on some buyer payer stores don't but mm-hmm. I, I figured payment calculator they would always screw it up and not put in the right amounts and then i would have people showing up thinking they could get 200 a month payments you don't see a friction there I actually hear that all the time. And so it depends on how the payment calculator is built. If you build a payment calculator where a consumer can actually select their credit score range, and based on a credit score range, they should see different interest rates or they could put in the custom interest rate, then they're the ones who are actually in a driver's mm. They're playing around with different variables. So it's like, imagine if a consumer walked into your dealership and your F&I manager has a computer you know, facing the, the F&I manager and a, 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 the customer doesn't see it. And a salesman just puts in numbers and shows it to a consumer. Consumer's not going to trust you. Versus if you turn the computer around to them and say, look at this. If you put in $10,000 down or $1,000 down, look what it does to your payment. 
then you're building trust because you're like, these are just the numbers, it's simple math. <laughs> like it's not, not my fault, you're, you have a bad credit. And so it's actually, and there's actually a very famous book called Leading at a Speed of Trust. And it talks about how the higher the trust consumers have with you, the more, the faster they make decisions. Because imagine like, look, for example, um, my boyfriend, he he's a um, a partner in a, in a wealth management firm. And some of these clients, he was telling me actually a story. He had this one really wealthy individual who um, he, uh, he needed him to sign a bunch of paperwork. And this first, the first meeting, this individual was looking at every single paper, reading every single little thing. A year later, when, again, my boyfriend came to, to the same client to talk about something else, he had to sign papers. He signed this chunk of paper within like minutes because he didn't have to look at it because he trusted him. So imagine what happens if consumers trust you. No matter what you tell them, they're going to believe you. They're more likely to buy a car from you faster. So you you want to give them the tools to do, the, do their research on your website. You want to show your real photos to show your real business, not some fly-by-night company is going to go out of business tomorrow. In 2022, should we all have the prices listed on our website? Or do you think that's still a decision of the dealer and it can go either way? No, you definitely should put the prices. And actually, as you guys know, Carvana and CarMax are not the cheapest, you know, companies. They actually most of the time their cars are, what is it, I think I heard like $5,000 more, you know, than the local dealership. But yet CarMax sold 600,000 cars and Carvana sold, you know, 400,000 cars in 2021. So, and they all have prices. The reality is, you know, those are the prices. And why would you want to waste your salespeople's time talking to a consumer who has unrealistic expectations? <laughs> uh, I think that is all of them. But <laughs> regardless, um, here's, a, here's a point of contention between Luke and I, and I wanted a professional's opinion as, a, as an independent third party. Choke pages. Choke pages on your inventory. Wow. Is that old? Is that bad? I mean, I, I we just switched over our CRM to a new one, and I really debated on getting rid of the choke page at this point. You should have. And I, I didn't. And I don't know, man. We get a we get a ton of leads through that. Tell him, tell him. Yeah, it's like a, it's like crack. Is that even appropriate for me to say it? But it's like you know, you're yeah, getting that crack, and you can't you know walk away from it. Yeah, so, it's caffeine. That's what we use in Utah. Caffeine. <laughs> I cannot walk away from it. You're right. Yeah. So when I used to work at House Values, House Values was the a startup company that became publicly traded on Nasdaq, and then they got acquired by Zillow. And at House Values, I was in charge of their lead generation. So we had about 200 salespeople, and my job was to generate 80 leads per salesperson per month. And we used to do all kinds of DR, you know, direct response tactics that were just a little bit shady, you know, tricking, you know, real estate agents to respond. Like, for example, we used to send direct mail campaigns that look like an IRS, you know, notice, you know, like where you have to care from <laughs> yeah. And we used to generate leads like, I don't know, $10 cost per lead. And I mean, it was the best performing campaigns. But real estate agents, who was our customers, hated us. They absolutely hated us. Even if they would respond to us, they'd be like, you tricked me. And just because you tricked me, I'll never do business with you. We were still growing. Like we were probably mm. traded on a NASDAQ, you know, within three years. It was one of the huge successors. But customers hated us. We had such a horrible churn rate. Then I went to work at ING Direct, which was a bank, you know, that the orange little bowl. And that's when I learned the power of a brand. Don't hurt your brand for short-term results for, you know, sacrificing the long-term. Those squeeze pages, yes, it's a crack you're getting right now and you really want it because you really want to sell today. 
but it's damaging your brand. And <laughs> I, I would not trade that. Knowing what I've learned now working at ING Direct, which is also, you know, was publicly traded company that got acquired by Capital One, you know, global, you know, bank versus working at house values, which, you know, yes, generating a lot of leads, $10 cost per lead, but everybody hated them. You know, like they hated the brand. Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely would. I would defend that a that a squeeze page or a choke page is not deceptive or deceiving by any means. But um, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, obviously, we get people that get all sorts of mad. Well, if you're not going to let me see cars, why would I blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, OK, yeah, fine. You're probably not someone I wanted to deal with it to begin with. But I mean, imagine if you went to Home Depot and Home Depot said, fill out this form before you could actually see our prices. Like, how would you feel about that? Yeah, some people do, though. Right. Which Costco. You can't see Costco's prices unless you're a member. You gotta be a member. You, know, you don't see. You don't see like uh, the grocery store. It's like well, I gotta be a member to get that sale. That price on the thing. You well, know, yeah, like two for one. I gotta price. have a value card. Yeah, yeah, you you have to become a member to actually get. But you see the prices. And yeah. actually, with me, with my company, I publish our prices. So many website providers don't publish their prices, and. The that is a great point that you're saying. I think that's funny that some people would say the same thing about a choke page, but wouldn't actually be transparent enough in their own business. And you're saying that you preach it, but you also do it. So, yeah. so I saw something on the on the website the other day uh, on, on one of the dealer forums talking about how much they asked me how much I was paying for a website. I was, I'm not going to get into all that. Lyman, well, how much does a good website cost a dealer a month? Average ballpark. So um, I always, you know, some dealerships will, will argue with us about our prices because we're not the cheapest provider. There are, you know, cars for sale for $99 per month. But it, but you get what you pay for. I always say this. And actually, I always argue with my boyfriend about this because he loves shopping on sale. And I'm like, nothing good is ever on sale. It's just basic economics. You know, it's a supply and demand. You know, so I personally don't believe in buying anything for sale. Like if it's on sale, I'm always skeptical. Like what's wrong with this product? Uh, with the dealership website, dealership websites are pretty complicated websites. It's not like a, a dentist or a lawyer where you just have a bunch of text. It's inventory. Managing inventories and, you know, and having all these tools to be able to do different merchandising, different discounts, different pricing. Like, I don't know how can a dealership possibly just pay $400, $500 for a website. It just doesn't make sense in my head. Like if it was a dentist website, sure, I get it. But if you guys actually knew how much it cost me, my company, to you know, developers, QA people, uh, DevOps people, UX UI designers, you know, like it's very, very expensive. Actually, it takes us like five months to break even when we launch a dealership. And so, you know, a good website I think is worth it, and a mm -hmm. good website actually will save you money because let our prices start at one thousand two hundred ninety nine and they go up to two thousand six hundred ninety nine. So let's say you average, you know, 1,500, let's say, for example, how much money are you spending on advertising? So I see dealerships spend like $10,000 on the advertising, driving people to a broken website that doesn't convert. <laughs> did they save money or did they just waste money? Oh, for sure. And I, I, I'm with you, Lyman. I, when people talk about they're paying $200 a month for a, a website, I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't understand how that website works. And if it works, it probably doesn't work very well. Yeah, it just sounds like there's a lot of back. I mean, uh, I, I can't even. Yeah, start. no matter no matter how much jet fuel you put in that little Kia Soul, it's not going to go any faster. You know, exactly. It's, it's not going to. It's got limitations. It's not going to perform any better. And that's what is funny about dealers is we we just want to pour more water in the bucket 
and spend more money and and do more Google ads and Facebook ads, but we don't realize our bucket is like in it's broken. It's like a, oh, we don't have we don't have enough people to to facilitate the amount of leads we're getting because I mean that that happens as well. Well, yeah, because dealerships don't have a lot of things don't have tracking, especially the buy your pay your dealerships, which is crazy to me. And again, the dealerships are trying to save money on buying a CRM. So they're using spreadsheets, but they're actually hurting themselves because I can't imagine as a business owner running my my business without having a CRM and having the right CRM to you know pull reports. There's so many CRMs in automotive that are again also very cheap, but their reporting is terrible. So what's the point of having a CRM if you don't even can't even generate a good report out of it? No, so, I, I agree. Yeah, and, and you know um, when we talk about you know the cost of a website, did you guys know the statistics? So according to Cox and McKinsey, which is a huge market research company, they said in 2014, uh, average consumer used to visit five dealerships before buying a car. In 2017, average consumer used to visit 2.7 dealerships before buying a car. 2019, average consumer visited only 2.3 dealerships before buying a car. We're now in 2020. Guess how many dealerships consumers visit before buying a car? Don't so actually physically walk into the store. Yes, uh, I I bet it's one point three or four, maybe. Exactly. So that's because consumers are doing older research online and then visiting a dealership that they're going to buy a car from just to do a test drive and sign the paperwork. So if that's the case, <laughs> if we know that all of the consumers' research and decisions are done online, how can we possibly try to cut corners with the most important thing that actually influences their decision? Like, yeah, I mean. I I totally agree. I used to track ups, you know, and, and every car dealership in the world used to track ups. People were actually coming into the store and I just cut it out because I said it doesn't matter anymore because that same up that's here has already been to your website. Yeah. And we can, we can track that right now. And so that likelihood, I, I hate this when a salesman sells a car and, the, and they ask, you know, how did you find out about us? Oh, they drove by. No, no, <laughs> they did not drive by. They drove by to get here. Yes. But they saw this car on the internet before they even thought about stopping by here, correct? Yeah, oh, for sure. And I mean, nobody wakes up and says, today I'm going to buy a car. I mean, it could happen, but usually- I'm going to go drive around. I'm going to go drive around to, to 50 dealerships this Saturday to buy a car. No, that is not how it works. Yeah, you usually start feeling your pain. Maybe your family's grown and you guys don't have enough cars. Maybe the car broke down or it's about to break down and you don't need a car. But you started thinking about it at least 30 days in advance from doing all the research. And your website, your dealership website, is the first thing they actually interact with. So, and you know, like in the, on social media, I'm constantly getting retargeted by these ads, retail store companies, and they sell dresses and shirts. And once in a while, I'll, you know, see like a, a really beautiful dress for like $50. And I'm like, wow, it looks really good. And, you know, it's only $50. I can't believe it. And every time I would buy those cheap dresses, though, when they arrive, like my skin will be itching or like something wrong with <laughs> my material. And I'm like, Lyman, you know better. Nothing in this life is free or cheap. Like, you know how in business operations, they say you could either have something fast, good quality or cheap. Pick two. You cannot have three. So you have to invest in a website and your website is the cheapest real estate in fund quite frankly, compared to everything else dealerships have to pay for. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a lot of great information. I definitely have some awesome takeaways that I'm going to do. And and the one thing I, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, the squeeze page is one, but um, setting <laughs> up my goals in Google analytics, I actually looked, 
I have had this website and my Google Analytics for probably 10 years. I do not have goals set up in my Google Analytics to trigger when someone hits the, you know, the, the thank you for applying page or the thank you for contacting us page. I don't have that set up. So how could analytics even know what I'm trying to achieve? So that alone. Even know what to achieve. You know, like when I was helping my friend that one worked with car dealership, she would send me reports from her marketing agency. And the only thing that the agency was reporting on is how many impressions, how many clicks they got. And I'm like, who cares how many impressions clicks? What was the lead? But they couldn't provide her the leads information because her website wasn't put up to track that. So your agencies, their hands are tied behind their back. And I have so many agencies that would actually, when dealerships would switch to us, they would tell me they're about to fire their agency. I'm like, hold on, don't fire your agency. They didn't have the right tracking in place. They did not have the right website to convert. Like, let us first launch your website and then you could see how they perform. You have to have the right tracking in place. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it, the NIADA. Hopefully they'll invite me to speak about it because I submitted that. But tracking is number one problem I see dealerships have. Yeah. I, I say that's so important. All that. Yeah. And we've taken so much of your time and thank you so much. How do dealers get a hold of you if they want to learn more, if they want your expertise, or if they want to make the switch and, and get a mobile first website? Yeah. So our website domain is 321ignition.com. And of course, I'm also all over social media on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Uh, our company is also LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. Um, we visit conferences very quite often. So if you go to any local association or national association conferences, we'll mo- most likely we'll be there. And if we're not, you know, please um, ask your association to invite us. We'll be happy to come in and, you know, consult and advise and uh, or come sign up and join 321 Ignition. So it's pretty easy. All our awesome. prices are on a website where you don't hide things. We don't ask to provide email address to get access to us. <laughs> no squeeze page. No squeeze page. No squeeze page. I'm going to try that out. Uh All right, Lyman, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Dealers helping dealers. Please leave us a review and subscribe. The Independent Dealer Podcast.